the greatest wrestling match ever. Hopefully, if I'm up to date, then you've not just seen me kind of stuck there doing nothing. Hopefully, this is going live perfectly fine. Hopefully, this is really early in the mornings. First time doing this video whilst it is currently half past three a.m. So. It's what imp looks like half past 3am, so bear with me if things are a bit slow or whatever. Also if I like forget to read out stuff because I'll be in the zone as it's called. Uh, so if you're watching live with Herbie Radio, we're still in that state where most people will tune in afterwards and think so. If you are listening in post haste, I don't normally check the chat. It's because I'm just used to the fact that no one turns up to the chat because they listen afterwards. That's always been the case. I've been going live in podcast form. Uh, for a, quite a, a couple of years and that was always the case and now I go, I'm back to being live again with video form and I've only been doing it a few weeks and I keep forgetting <laughs> and they'll come in and the comments already like ages old so bear with me with that one just in case but this is LOP Radio Aftershock live immediately following WWE Backlash 2020 where we have just witnessed the greatest wrestling match ever. <laughs> yes, I personally have sat directly under a light to do that shot. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Anyway, so uh, we have got, is it seven matches to go through from this card? Yes, seven matches. But I'm obviously going to start with the main event. I'm going to blast through that. Hopefully get to bed at some point before my eyes get too blurry to read my notes, which has happened, which is why I don't drink beer with these things. <laughs> so I... I, uh, I've tried it before doing the uh, Radio Aftershock because I uh, started doing these last year and I've tried it with beer and I've because I write like 2,000 words worth of notes for all of these shows and couldn't read them. <laughs> Mine's really blurry. <laughs> so it's the back to the very British tea and biscuits <laughs> to get me through these shows. So yeah. Ah, back when I just used to watch these shows and I didn't do Aftershock. Oh, those were the days I could drink alcohol and <laughs> still have the energy to do what I needed to do. Not anymore. I have to, be, I have to be bloody alcohol-free for these shows. Do you know how difficult that is sometimes? <laughs> Especially as a Britishman. A Britishman with Irish blood. Um, my father's side is like completely Irish, so, you know, that's great. I've got loads of Irish blood and I can't drink alcohol. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, so anyway, talking about the greatest wrestling match ever, I've already tangented it into my heritage, so that's a great start. But, was it the greatest wrestling match ever? Or was it just good, or was it ever? Uh, so, uh, immediately, the phrase, the greatest wrestling match ever, I've seen a couple of other people point this out, but it just screams as something licensed for a Saudi Arabia show that they ran with anyway after the world shut down. Maybe it's because, well, we've got the licenses to use all the greatest showman stuff, so why not use that? That couldn't have been cheap, <laughs> so I understand that. There's also the, I guess, it's the thing with, because uh, the Saudi Arabia shows all used greatest, something like the greatest Royal Rumble, and a sort of a super showdown, like, just put it over the top, so the greatest wrestling match ever totally fits in that bracket, <laughs> like, totally. So I totally understand it really does, that's why it kind of feels like that. It fits in that area, definitely. So, it's got that kind of thing to it. But, before the match started, because I was going in with it, like, I don't know how they're going to get through with this. My bottom expectation is they just have a match. And it's this is all just marketing, and they're not going to play to it at all. <laughs> that was part of my thinking. But then the commentators, before the match started, the commentators, like, they sat us down and they told us, right, we're going to... Enhance your experience. <laughs> it was like, huh? With like new camera angles and uh, audio as well. It's like, hmm, 
enhancing our audio experience. Okay then, <laughs> what's this going to do? And stupid me, after getting all excited for PlayStation 5 where they've got this thing called 360 audio, where, uh, and immediately my head just immediately just went, it's like, oh, have they really enhanced the audio? Are we going to get something like any an upgrade in audio quality? So I'll hear it in my headphones. And then turns out what they mean by enhancing our audio experience was piping in crowd noise. Okay then, <laughs> piping in crowd noise, that's what you mean by that. Fine, I guess. <laughs> okay, it's just like jumping, winding back the clock to the taped SmackDown days. Not quite what I grasped <laughs> when they talk about enhancing our audio experience. Not quite the same. Not quite living up to that. But okay, there's a huzzah for piped in crowd noise. Uh, a nicer huzzah for the Howard Finkel introductions because they played the British Showman theme, then it died down. It's got the Madison Square Garden uh, logo with the microphones hanging down, and then Howard Finkel does the introduction, so they got a nice recording of that. Oh, yes, but man, ain't it like winding back the clock to Smackdown? Uh, the favourites being over here in the UK, where they do the same piped-in crowd noises. Obviously, their recorded crowd was American, and you could tell the difference. <laughs> and visibly, the UK fans would be... You could see them booing, yet with the piped-in crowd noise, it would be like... Aah! But you could hit, see them going, boo. Oh, those were the days. Whilst here, you can hear the crowd, but everyone knows there's no crowd there. So for, I, don't, I reckon I've got in there a little bit differently, because this exact thing has been in the news over here, this kind of same tactic of using crowd noise from video games. I'm assuming that's where they got it from. Uh, like with uh, football, where the plan is to use the crowd noise from the FIFA football games, and you can turn it on if you want. So that's the big difference here. <laughs> it's... A very similar idea that's being used elsewhere to use crowd audio that's been recorded for video games and play that during your show, your your match, your sport, whatever, and that can kind of add an atmosphere where there currently isn't any. Like Japan's gone with a different tactic, where it's just the bait where it was a, a baseball match and they just had the back completely fit, like behind the batsman, had it completely filled with cuddly toys <laughs> and things. It's like, oh, at least I think it could have been South Korea actually. But oh, that's uh, my second favourite, New Japan, if you're listening. <laughs> you, you return tomorrow. There's, I'm just saying that cuddly toy, a to cuddly toy crowd is not out of the question, <laughs> if you want to do it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, it's something that's been in discussion over here, to have video game noise play in place of an actual crowd to kind of add an atmosphere. The big difference, which I have already brought up, is that the crowd in the football is optional. You can turn it on and off, whatever you like, because everybody's going to have a different take to it. Not everyone's going to like it. Some people will really dig the fact it adds some atmosphere where there would be none. Other people just find it jarring when you can visibly not see a crowd, yet you're getting one played to you. However, the difference here is it's not optional. In this match, it's properly put in. It's part of it, and I saw that on Twitter. So, I personally didn't actually mind the crowd noise. Uh, it did also, though, remove any chance of me taking the match seriously. Because it was quite nice on the ears. I didn't mind it. It was mixed pretty well. But it also pulled me out throughout the match. So whenever something would happen, and the crowd would go, hey, or boo, like, I knew the fake noise was playing, and that pulled me out of the match. That kind of ruined my investment a little bit. So, yeah, a bit of a mixed conclusion for me. I don't think it, for me, it's not as straightforward of was it good or bad. It's like, well, 
it worked in the odd moment, but like overall, it was it was jarring for me and pulled me out. And that's what I mean by in football and other sports, it's going to be optional. They're not going to make. They're not going to have it on, and that's the feed you've got to have. If you like the crowd noise, you can turn it on if you want. And if WWE do like this, because uh, I see quite a few people saying, or somebody even tweeted at it at me that they thought the actual, they thought the crowd noise did work for this match. But if WWE decide they like this kind of production, they're going to add it to other things, uh, to the rest of the show. Because the crowd that are there are not like the AEW crowd. It wouldn't work. This wouldn't work for AEW, for example, where in WWE the crowd is literally just there to make noise. They there is no allegiance in terms of face of heel, which is what AEW has. Like AEW's crowd are all characters associated with the show. They're not, uh, and one side is heels, one side is faces. Compared to WWE's crowd, where everybody just makes noise, so it so this kind of production adding the crowd noise on top of it, it can work with WWE. I don't think it, it would be stupid to try it with AW. I don't think it would work. It'd be too jarring with the production they've already got. But with WWE, yeah, it works, and it's perfectly fine. It's just that me personally, it did pull me out of it, which is just like yeah, because the match itself was a perfectly well wrestled match. I'd even go as far as to say it was a decent main event. Like, back and forth, plenty of big momentum, uh, swing, momentum swinging moments, uh, well and evenly play, uh, paced. Uh, I was just pulled out of it so much by the crowd noise jumping in for every one of those dead moments. I was fine with the odd one, but more often than not, it was a distraction. It's fair to say, the, like for, for like the first portion of the match especially, there wasn't much talk on Twitter about the match itself, just a whole lot of talk about production. Uh, basically, the battle generally built well. The heavier editing allowed a fast pace full of consistent counters, especially in the second half. Uh, neither man had a hold on the thing, leading to a great final run of minutes where either man really could win. But you didn't see that on Twitter. On Twitter, it was very strongly talking about, or oh, did you like the crowd noise or not? What was it your thing? Why why wasn't it your thing? Or why why do I like it? Type and uh, whether people were negative or positive about it, that was the thing people were talking about, not the match. And it wasn't until it reached kind of final stages where you'd had about twenty five minutes of people talking about production, and you can see it's not everybody's favourite topic. Me doing film production, I could talk about that crap for ages. I understand that's not most people, though. <laughs> most people have got this thing called a life, and they move on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so by the end of the match, people were at least talking about the quality of the overall package, including the match itself. But, yeah, especially for this first, like, 10, 15 minutes, it was all to do with just the production. Did it, What about you think? Especially the crowd noise. Because the camera angles... They were like, going to give you new camera angles, and they seem to be ones they've tried out before, like um, when SmackDown went live and live, and they tried out loads of wacky different camera angles. In this one, they interjected ones like those that were seen scattered throughout those early weeks of SmackDown Live, where they gave it a go with different camera angles, some, and some got dropped, and some got brought back in, and they just put them all here, <laughs> all in this match. Maybe a couple of them worked. For me personally... I just feel like WWE's production already cuts too quickly to then have that same momentum and pace and put more in. Uh, that said, only one shot for me jumps too quickly. As in, like, incredibly quickly. Because I think the whole... I always think <laughs> WWE's production for me is just overall too quick. 
in terms of like pace of cutting. But I told you, I told you the the nerd thing coming. <laughs> like their pace of cutting for me is too big, or too big, too quick. However, there's only one where I just went, well, bloody hell, <laughs> it was like bang, bang, bang. It's just like something simple, like lifting him onto the turnbuckle for a suplex, and it was like bang, 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 and I'm just like bloody hell, just Kevin, <laughs> just you don't you don't have to go that quick. It's fine. It's all right. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, so Twitch was talking about production, and you could for me you could see the match itself was getting a bit lost. But it was a decent match. Like, both lads were completely unable... Uh, well, oh, actually, I'll get to that in a second. I would just say, for me, it's a shame... Like, if, the, if this match wasn't produced like it was, if this match didn't have the marketing that it did, the reception would be... For me, the reception would be so much more positive because they did put on a really good match. It's like WWE throwing everything to the wall in terms of what they envision as a really good match. And they generally put in an effort to, to it. But also in terms of the way it was produced. Because I'm just talking about the way the match was put together. But in terms of the way it was produced. That's also telling me that it's not meant to be taken seriously. Especially with the crowd noise. Because that's what the crowd noise does for me. Like yeah I think it was mixed well. It was pretty decent. It added to the package. But it takes away any, any chance of me taking it seriously. So that's what I mean by it's a positive and a negative. The overall package feels a bit better, but if you're trying to tell me a serious story with this, then that's completely failed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, both they're the two different sides of the coin, and that's kind of where I sit on it. I didn't mind it, I didn't hate it, but it definitely took away from the whole thing being serious at all. So yeah, but I did like the way the match built. Like both lads were completely unable to hit their finishes throughout. Uh, which is, a for me, a nice trope I like from New Japan, uh, where, like, for example, the RKO was constantly countered into various moves that led into dangerous pinning scenarios for Orton, meaning, if anything, not attempt uh, attempting the move became such a risk that were we not to hit it, it could be like, was it worth the gamble? Then Edge was also unable to land the spear. It wasn't until, like, right until the final, mo final moments that that happened. Uh, like the RKO, it was constantly avoided. Uh, we got a whole run of homage too, from a Guerrero three amigos to Triple H's pedigree to Edge hitting a rock bottom, like a visit to all those wrestling move things we like, like all building to our lads eventually hitting their own finishes and coming close as hell to putting this thing to bed. Like, that's what I meant earlier when I said it felt like it was WWE. Uh, in terms of producing a match, putting a match together, they just put everything in there that they would believe constitutes a the best wrestling match in their style, which doesn't include anything breaking. So obviously, like, no table spots, no uh, announce table. The announce table is the one thing I'm surprised wasn't there. And that's the one thing. <laughs> it's putting everything in there, which is, like, the big WWE moments. Like, oh. uh, but they did have a spot on the announce table. It just wasn't, like, the big, oh, the announce table's broken. So, yeah, it wasn't that. Which I, that's the only thing missing, I think, from what I envisioned in my head as a WWE pacing of a match. It was the only thing that wasn't there. Aside from that, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. It was pure, what is the best wrestling match in our style? And they just put it all together. And every spot's there, including the pedigree. <laughs> and of course, the Vox mover. Stunner wasn't there. So. Uh, but yeah. I like the fact they were both unable to hit their finishers and there were constant counters to their finisher. For me, again, that's something I praise New Japan for, where in their style, 
where you're trying to hit your finisher and then over time people get better and better at countering it to a point where you hitting that finisher becomes a danger to yourself because it's likely to get countered because the people have built that up so much. But if you hit it, you win. Or at least you come close. It's like, oh. <laughs> and yeah, so that's what was happening here as well. Now, Autumn was first nailing the RKO, uh, followed by a referee argument and gradual settle down where he realised he needs to get into the zone to hit the punt. Uh, which was the perfect setup for a spear, and another spear, and a kick out. So, it was, yeah, building up to them hitting those finishers. I really liked that. <laughs> Just building up to them hitting their own finishers, hitting everybody else's moves. It's like all building to our lads, eventually hitting their own finishers, and com coming close as hell to putting things to bed. Which was, a, for me, that's exactly the zone they went into. Um, like Edge hits the spears and after the kick out you get Edge questioning reality like what is what is life <laughs> and he, he goes he comes up with an idea to springboard off the corner into a DDT and that's when he gets caught with an RKO trying to innovate do something different and Randy Orton's still in the zone and Edge pays for it uh, and with that kick out uh, especially I saw it on Twitter all over and I, it's when I got the feeling as well was this match really has entered the zone of indie show main events. <laughs> Just hitting all your favourite moves and then you go to your own finishes and they even kick out of that and you're like, oh my god. And yeah, then you keep hitting your own move and you keep getting kicked out. <laughs> Just That's kind of where, I guess, the indie style of the modern day kind of drifted to. That's it. Because WWE has a trope of over time eventually adopting the indie style because it's become popular for a reason. It just takes a bit of time to kind of filter through the WWE system, which I'm per personally thankful for. I like variety. I like everything not feeling different. Uh, but Orton goes for the RKO again uh, and gets caught with a headlock choke. There was another awesome sequence where it was like RKO attempt counter and Edge went for like education or something counter uh, and Randy Orton goes for the spinning power slam, also countered into an unpretty about Edge. That was an amazing sequence. And earlier in the match, we saw the RKO countered into the education. So just amazing counters all round. Like they really built up the kind of momentum of the match, and the editing really led to that. They could do a really fast-paced match because the editing you can cut down the bits in between the downtime. You can just make it flow really quickly. And for me, that's what they did. And uh, but when Edge held on to that headlock choke after Orton went for the RKO, that's me holding him on, so it's like I'm tight, cold and hooking myself. <laughs> uh, Edge held and held that submission, but they end up leaning up against the ropes, and in the referee's attempts to break the hold, Orton took the opportunity to low blow Edge. Uh, referee Robinson missed it! Damn it, Charles! Uh, Orton follows up with a punt, 1-2-3, Orton wins, and the momentum of that final bit moment as well was also done really well. Just the whole sequence of just how fluid it was, leading to Orton hitting that punt, which looked devastating as hell. Uh, after the match, he leant over Edge, uh, he told him to go home, he said, go home, be with Beth, be with your daughters, and tell all three of them that Uncle Randy says hi. It's like, oh, the villain! <laughs> the villain of the man! And that's kind of, I again, and then that play out. The people came out with the stretchers to take Edge out of there. Again, you sell the punt. Edge looks out of it as well. And we go off air with Randy Orton up on the ramp, up on the stage, celebrating his win uh, as Edge is like taken out by the doctors with Randy Orton's words kind of just ringing throughout. 
because I've got a really good ability to tune out the Michael Cole commentary. <laughs> so he probably was saying words and saying farewell on the show, but for me, the final words were what Randy Orton whispered to Edge in the ring. And if Michael Cole spoke, I have I activated my Michael Cole blindness. <laughs> so yeah, not an issue for me. Yeah. But yes, the match as a whole, it's a mixed package where I personally enjoyed the production of the match. I would say it's a really good WWE main event. Uh, don't forget, in me, me personally, the New Japan style is my number one style. And the WWE style for me has got to really put something special in there to kind of break through. into Like from giving it stars. To get anywhere near five stars, you've got to do something absolutely incredible. So for me, I would rate this, I guess, four. But it's a weird mixed bag. <laughs> well, when I say it's a four, I mean... I think this is a really, really good representation of WWE's wrestling. If WWE's wrestling is your thing, this will be five stars for you. <laughs> it's just that the New Japan style is the thing for me. So it's not really going to break much higher than a four, I guess, for me. Uh, but I'm not really a stars person, and this next bit will explain why. It's that, but there's also like a whole heap of things that took me out of the match, where I guess if I'm giving a star on it, I'd have to lower it. Purely because these things took me out of the match and the production is part of it. And it was the production that took me out of it. Again, the commentary, I can't really critique because I can just tune it out. <laughs> I can just stop listening. I've just realised it was a Raw match. So it wasn't even Michael Cole. <laughs> which explains why I didn't hear him. <laughs> Tom Phillips, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe did an excellent job all night. Uh, absolutely incredible wrestler. But if he's not able, to, if he's not like going to wrestle, having an on commentary is not the worst thing in the world. But he, he was fantastic all night. And Byron Saxon as well. I've, uh, I've actually I've become a fan of Byron ever since the Kofi storyline where, for me, he just... He's done decent stuff before, but that, for me, was like setting such another bar that I was like, no, I actually respect you now, Byron. Even if, you know, on commentary, you are told to play the fool quite often. It's like, no, actually, but as a, I guess, as a entertainer, I guess, on the commentary team, I at least respect you now. Anyway, I genuinely thought the match was great, and but the reduction pulled me out of it. So again, if I'm giving a stars, that kind of negatives me down a bit to three point something. I don't know. Still relatively high, but I don't do stars. So I can't really put a nail on it because I don't really know how I feel. I know that some parts of the production I dug, like with the camera angles, I dug most of them. But sometimes it meant that the pace of cuts was evening, even more increased than normal. But a lot of the time they added to a moment because I think there was just like I want to say an arm jag or something it could have been a suplex or something where they then cut to Edge being ragdolled across the ring that one worked but as I said there was one cut a few cuts when they were climbing up and it was just like bang and it's just like whoa I can't swear (laughs) and yeah so it's the same with the crowd noise sometimes it was kind of low key in the moment enough that it worked other most of the time though just but as soon as I heard it, I was pulled out and I was thinking about the crowd noise again instead of the match. So overall package, because production plays such a massive part, that really dragged it down for me, personally. Hence why I started talking about this match by talking about the football. The reason that I quite like the idea for the football is you can turn it off if you don't like it. <laughs> and for me, that's I reckon this match, even though it was put together in a total WWE style... I reckon it would still be really divisive because of the crowd. Because of that crowd noise. In terms of the way it was produced, 
I reckon it'll become really, really de- divisive. Yeah. The way it was hyped doesn't help either. Like, if it wasn't hyped as the greatest wrestling match ever, if they didn't use that, if they didn't put show truth all over it, didn't have Hugh Jackman's song played by Panic at the Disco, <laughs> didn't have all of that going on, and it was just a match going off the story they were doing, yeah, but that would have been fine. But no. <laughs> it was just... It was weird in the end. Ah. Anyway... So I'm now going to run... I was going to go kind of in descending order, or condescending order to make a reference, but I'll start at number one now. I'll work my way through the card. Uh, the main event is normally why... Uh, I've seen the analytics. Most people will stay for talking about the main event and get really excited about that, and then as soon as you drift into the other ones, it just depends on what they're doing. So let's go through the rest of the card, starting with the uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. Lots of people's match of the night before we got to the main event. Actually, yeah, just to give my final thoughts on the main event, I just kind of forgot as soon as I brought this up. The main, the main event for me was match of the night. I'd even go as far as to call it good. But yeah, the production definitely brings it down uh, because it pulled me pulled me out of it quite often. So I have to bring that up. But it won't for others. Hence why, again, if you're going to do it, I don't mind. Maybe making it like the football is the way to go. Where if you don't like it, there's just an option to turn it off. Uh, which he can't really do on television. I don't know, I'm an idiot. That's how they're doing it with the football. <laughs> I don't know how American TV works and just pressing a button and then you've got different options for the kind of that uh, TV stream that you're getting. So uh, anyway. Anyway, before my eyes get too blurry, don't forget it's close to 4am. <laughs> I need to get through this before I'm gone. The WWE Women's Tag Team Championships uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus the Iconics. Uh, we got a backstage promo before all this started. Uh, if you, so uh, Kayla Braxton interviewing Bailey and Sasha Banks, and she said to them, "If you lose your women's tag team championships, do you lose your friendship?" Uh, Sasha Banks then went out after saying something, and Bailey, the smart person she is, was like, "I see what you're trying to do." You're saying if we lose the Women's Tag Team Championships, then I lose my friendship with Sasha. Aha! Sherlock's on the case, I see. <laughs> yes, very, very good. Very good analysis of te- of your answer being the exact words used in the question. That's the exam tactic you're taught at school. Yeah, <laughs> to make you sound smart. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very good. Yeah. Also, Iconics! <laughs> I, I don't, it's weird, I hear a lot of American people saying that they find the Iconics really irritating. But, so, no, I love them. <laughs> I generally think they're hilarious. I'm, I'm one of those people that constantly just uh, comments... Uh, constantly uh, in my head, I'll just laugh at the... Hey, Kayla! Hey! Hey, Kayla! That's me attempting an accent, but I'm so tired my mouth is not moving. <laughs> so it's just me speaking normally whilst tilting my head at an angle. Anyway, uh, the triple threat match with three in the ring at once. Uh, the personally favoured form of the triple threat tag team matches... Uh, I like my bouts as chaotic as possible. Like, rules, screw the rules, let's just have fun. <laughs> Do silly things. I'm the guy where last year, one of my matches of the year, generally was Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan. I'm not a stickler for serious wrestling that sticks to the rules. <laughs> if I'm entertained, I'm fine. Uh, yeah. But uh, in this match, two heel teams allows for lots of temporary teamings up. Uh, plenty of offence halted and interfered, uh, pins broken up, uh, really playing into the triple threat nature of being damn difficult to string together anything in the early going. 
Uh, Bailey and Sasha sneaking in some nice illegal tag moves. Remember one with a stiff knee delivered by Sasha before she snuck out again. That was really, really good. But not really able to capitalise thanks to the triple threat. Again, like that knee where Sasha came in and delivered it. Uh, she, the pin was broken up by the Iconics, I think. So you couldn't really capitalise on anything. Uh, Alexa Bliss got the big hot tag of the match where she first pressed everybody with punches. <laughs> the Stone Cold Steve Austin idea. Uh, that was until Peyton Royce hit a crossbody through the rope to the outside and everybody was down. This resulted in the Iconics and Bliss and Cross starting to fight back and forth inside the ring. Uh, and the uh, people, baby faces won out. That's it. With uh, Bliss hitting the twist of Bliss in the end. But Sasha Banks slid in and rolled the goddess up and scored the three. Uh, cue happy cocky champions on the ramp and sad faces crying in the ring. And yeah, a really fun opening match. Went about 15 minutes, if I'm right. And it's, it, for me, it's like the women's tag team championships on these pay per views are building a relatively nice, uh, what's the word beginning with R, reputation. <laughs> building a nice reputation. Of just like being fun matches that are kicking off pay-per-views. Uh, it's a shame it's happened in the empty arena era. But I guess if you're going to give prestige to something. Or at least have crowds excited to see something def a title defended. This not the worst time to build something up. Better late than never. Uh, but I am in, yeah, I'm enjoying these women's tight team matches. That are opening pay-per-views. Uh, just a nice little run. And this was no different. A fun triple threat tag team match. Over 15 minutes. Really not any downtime at all. First part was setting up their chaotic nature when no one can really maintain any momentum. The second half, those cracks start to happen. And then, because of the chaotic nature, somebody's able to capitalise just in a split second. I can't click my fingers. That's a weird thing I can't do. Yeah. <laughs> Random admission. I went to click my fingers and suddenly realised, no, you can't do that. <laughs> it's not an ability I have. Oh. Teachers tried to teach me. I just can never do it. Anyway... That's a massive tangent. <laughs> if you want to know more, you can hit me up on Twitter. It's on the screen. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, after this, Braun Strowman arrives. Uh, Corey Graves says, What an automobile. Listen to that baby purr. Uh, obviously, we saw it on SmackDown when Miz and Morrison went to destroy it a bit. And yeah, I'm sure Corey Graves saying that sentence won't come back. Insert thinking emoji. Was it winking emoji? Which would be, I'll go with winking emoji. <laughs> but my eyes are so tired that felt really weird. Anyway, number two. Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus. Don't know why I did a hand movement like I'm hitting when I said Jeff Hardy. Uh, if any match deserved the epic video package, it sure was the jar of piss one. <laughs> uh, certainly an interest, interesting storyline going into this one. Uh, you know, the everyday wrestling trope of a hit and run case being settled in the ring rather than in court. Uh, trial by combat. <laughs> uh, the match itself was a pretty damn entertaining brawl. Uh, stiff fists from the villain Irishman and daring flights from the hero Daredevil. Uh, Jeff Hardy having to fight back after Shamu just beat the poor lads over the course of the match. <laughs> just beat him down. Uh, poor Jeff Hardy. Uh, the first swanton from Jeff Hardy was a no-no. He was fighting back all match and then he finally makes it to hitting the swanton and he just... Like, not well. Uh, second hit, but Sheamus got his legs up on the ropes. And that's when Jeff Hardy's impatience started to come on display. Uh, Hardy immediately go to the outside, running across the barricade. Uh, which, as, as athletic as he can be, I guess, in the, given the current circumstances. 
And he jumps on the barricade and is immediately met in the face with a bro kick. Oh, which is, yes, the impatience immediately met its karma. Ah, oh, yeah. Played for it with a bro kick right to the face. Uh, back in the ring, one more bro kick and Hardy is out for the count. A fun brawl of a match. Uh, this one felt like it went maybe a little bit too long. Where second match of the night, you kind of I get the brawl nature, I get the uh, Daredevil fighting back up from behind nature as well. For me, it just went on maybe just a little bit too long and I did start to just want for it to end. And then it happened with Jeff Hardy hitting his swanton bombs and uh, when they started going for the finish, that's when I, was, I got back into it. A fun brawl. Maybe went a tag too long, as I just said, but it was solid enough for second on the card. And WWE, with these empty arena shows, have had a knack for that. Where the second match, the, co the competitors come out and they're like, oh, this will be a fun, like, five, ten minute match. And then they go 15 to 20. Or at least it feels 15 to 20, which might say something. But like, I, may lose con I may lose a bit of concentration in the middle, but by the end I'm back into it. And then, I look, then I'm just thinking to myself, but it is second on the card. I'm not going to judge it too highly. <laughs> so, this was, for me, this was better than I was expecting it to be. It was also too long, but then it ended on a decent note as well. It's an odd mixed bag. But of course, an Irishman winning a match in a storyline that's about sobriety. <laughs> they are. Good one. Yeah, yes, that's very funny. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's the Irishman wins about being sober and not drinking. Ah, yeah, very funny joke. <laughs> very funny. Anyway, uh, third match of the night, the Raw Women's Championship. I'm flying through these now because there's quite, still quite a few to get through. Uh, Asuka versus Nia Jax. Nia, because uh, I think it's an interview with somebody, can't remember who it was. I won't say it's one of the British interviewers, but I just can't remember who. Uh, she did say how excited she was to face Asuka again, as they've got great chemistry together, making, them, making it pure fun to work with Asuka. Uh, the match starts with Asuka climbing all over the bigger competitor, which I loved that opening segment. Uh, locking in all sorts of submissions early on. Uh, eventually, Nia Jax learned and just started slamming the poor champ hard down onto the mat whenever she tried to do that. Like the octopus stretch. I, want, I call it that. I don't know if that's what, that's what it's called. I've seen that Sabre Jr. do it loads of times. And Asuka kind of wriggled around Nia and locked in the arm. And uh, the next time she tried that, nope, just spine buster. Down you go. And yeah, that's, that was the kind of rhythm of the match after that. The pattern that it followed. Asuka trying to chop Nia down before the challenger then slammed her flat down with one big move but was never really able to follow up with a strong second. So Asuka was taking only one hit but Nia wasn't really able to capitalise on the next moment. Uh, the one time she did was when she tried a jackhammer and the, the holding the stalling suplex that bit was fine and then when she tried to swivel around you could tell, you could tell by Nia's face that she was like ah oh, I didn't hit that right and she just kind of Asuka's legs kind of landed first, and it's like, oh, that wasn't quite... Not not perfect, but yeah. Uh, awesome exchange on the outside soon followed. Asuka's reversals into the armbar are still just amazing to watch. Uh, Nia Jax was fighting out, but the Empress of Tomorrow won with a... Uh, with a combination of... I forgot the word. With a combination of stiff kicks keeping her down before sliding back into the ring, right in time for... Oh, the count-out. <laughs> okay, then. Ah, right, okay. Like, that... It, they played it off a bit, like, oh, that's a bit odd and weird, and they delayed the music playing. Uh, but even if Asuka had slid in... Like, if it was an error, even if Asuka had slid in in time, 
Naya was still vital against the barricade, so that made me think, that can't be an error. That was on purpose, that was the booking. And personally, I don't, it's an odd one. I don't mind that kind of thing on television. On pay-per-view, I normally have a different feeling. But in the, still in the lockdown quarantine era, storylines are still getting stretched out. It's like, I think part of it for me comes from, I don't, I'm not particularly super invested in watching Ask and Nia Jax play out on a long term. So, yeah, I can see that it's a tactic used to stretch out storylines. Like, this is nothing new in wrestling. This has been around for ages, this idea of booking. I think it's just because it's for this match. In particular, this particular rivalry, where I'm like, ah, oh, I mean, they're not particularly super invested in seeing another one or two pay-per-views run for this one. But you also understand things will get stretched out because of the current world we're in. Yeah, that's another one. I'm still in a bit of forgiveness in terms of uh, like character rotation. See, cause I'm not expecting tons of it. Yeah. Anyway, after this, backstage, we've got MVP getting things organised last minute for Lashley's championship celebration. Lana interrupts and is not coping with her current role in Bobby's wrestling venture that well at all, really. I'm pretty certain this will come back to play. <laughs> this will become a thing again. Yeah, it's totally going to happen. Uh, anyway, scrolling down to the Universal Championship. So this is where... Uh, this is only the fourth match on the card. And I'm just fully expecting something to happen. Just something, anything. <laughs> to, to go... Um, Something to, I don't know, kind of liven up the show a little bit. Because there have been two matches in a row where I've enjoyed moments of them and both of us zoned out in moments of them and then by the end of it I was like, oh, it's fine, yeah. Like, it's building nicely. But this is the point of the match where I'm expecting something to happen. And this is normally like a, a mid-card match moment which will inject some energy into the show. And... I was surprised that this did do that. <laughs> it wasn't the match, though. I did kind of... I, I, was, I thought the match was fine. But the bit that injected energy and came at just the perfect time in the show to like completely change my kind of perspective of what was kind of happening was Miz and Morrison debuting their new single against uh, about Braun Strowman to the tune of Van Halen. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, ho, ho, Joe Hendry rolls in his uh, pyjamas. He's not dead. <laughs> it's just... Doing a song about your opponent, uh, the Joe Hendry special. Uh, the video is suddenly uh, a, a fantastic video. Just came at the perfect time. As I was saying, you can sense it on Twitter as well. Sometimes you can sense like the momentum of a show on Twitter. And after the count up victory uh, for Asuka, was like, oh, so Nia Jax Asuka is going to continue from here. After that had sunk in, there was a little bit of a hmm. So this this silly skit, this silly comedy thing, right in the comedy house of the dirt sheet, came at the absolute perfect time and just gave everybody just an injection of energy. Uh, the video was very suddenly interrupted by a whole bunch of steam. <laughs> As Michael Cole calls out, time for another kind of music, the Strowman Express. Yeah, not the best line. <laughs> like, and a pretty jarring sudden edit ending what was a fun bit. Uh, but hey, ho ho. The whole thing's silly, so uh, don't, don't really mind. Again, this is mid-card energy injector. Uh, so the other part, though, is let's not forget, this is for the WWE Universal Championship, and as I was calling it, it was the mid-card energy injector match. Hmm. So it doesn't really give prestige to the title. It makes it feel like it's fallen down quite a bit in that regard. 
But it was like the match never like the match never left fun mid card. It's still in that lane. It never felt that big of a deal, but it fit the pay per view card quite well. So two different thoughts right there for you, depending on which bubble you're in. <laughs> so if you're in the bubble that doesn't like the, anything like this, then yeah, I can see that it brings down the prestige of the Universal Championship. If you're somebody who is perfectly fine with just a bit of fun in there, yeah, this was fun, it didn't leave that. It does both, both are true. <laughs> I can both say I enjoyed it for what it was, it was a perfect match at the perfect time in the building of the card, in that card momentum, uh, but it was meant to be for a top championship and it didn't feel like a top championship. So, pros and cons. Uh, Miz and Morrison, given this was a handicap match of Braun Strowman versus The Miz and John Morrison, to realise they didn't introduce it. Uh, Miz and Morrison benefited the bulk of the match from the handicap advantage, and Morrison's athleticism mixed in with Miz's cocky kicks and punches. Uh, eventually, Strowman would power up, but it took the big train a while to steam through both lads consecutively, keeping my steam train puns rolling. <laughs> uh, the breakdown was in the stipulation of uh, the breakdown, sorry, the breakdown for Miz and Morrison was in the stipulation of whoever scored the pin would become sole champion. Uh, the challengers potentially had the champion beat after a stomp school-crushing finale combo, uh, but Miz pulled Morrison off of the pin before realising what he'd done, and Morrison's second attempt was to no avail. And that was that. Uh, the big lad finally had his momentum to swat away both lads, Hitting the power slam on Morrison to score the pin, Strowman retains. Pretty straightforward, fun little handicap of two cheeky lads versus a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't feel like a Universal Championship match at all. Again, in fact, the prestige of the title feels like it's fallen a fair bit on this card. But in terms of backlash card momentum, the perfect match at the perfect time, especially for me. Uh, after that, we got a recap of AJ Styles winning the Intercontinental Championship, which led into a backstage interview with the new champion. Uh, he announced he's the greatest champion in WWE history. Uh, on Friday, there will be the greatest championship presentation, and he wants Daniel Bryan to be there, because as great as Bryan is, he's not phenomenal. Uh, so, baddie AJ Styles. <laughs> Still playing now. And this brings... Uh, uh, Miz... Which one do I talk? Do I end on a happy note talking about the U the WWE Championship, or do I end on a quizzical note talking about street? Let's do street profits first. <laughs> Mess about with the card. Uh, I'll end on the championship match. So, the Raw Tag Team Championships Street Profits versus Viking Raiders is what was meant to be. Instead, as I get hiccups, <laughs> try to add them. Instead, we got a pre-taped music and all thing with. Backstage music and the, as the, they brawled in the parking lot and backstage. Um, this was somewhat continuing the feel of the sports challenge skits they've been doing over the past few weeks on Monday Night Raw. Uh, turns out this is our cinematic match of the night. After, and started, as I said, they started off in the parking lot and after accidentally damaging Braun Strowman's car, the two teams brawled inside uh, Street Profits Brandish Golf Clubs. And this is me running, miming a golf club. <laughs> uh, then the, only to be met with a sword and shield. And how do you mime a bowling ball? Because it looks weird when I do that. <laughs> My finger's going in the thing. Because I could do sort of a weird symbol. Yeah. yeah, I can't wait to see that up on my preview image. Which is about 10-15 seconds behind. <laughs> anyway, the 
Uh, four of them agreed to set down their weapons and fight like real men. Uh, Eric and Dawkins brawled away and outside, uh, but Ivar enters a daydream of the fun times using said bowling ball. Uh, he awakes and into Ford's special area goes the bowling ball. <laughs> into his special area it rolls. Uh, Ivar then goes outside, finds Eric down and gets speared through a glass window by Dawkins. Uh, as they lay down, Ivar remembers the good times finding chicken during all of their challenges, or turkey. During all of their challenges, uh, then then they kind of come together again and start to ball outside a bit before they all have a moment of realisation. Like, what are we doing? Guys, what are we doing? And now Ivar's like, yeah, let's let's get back to like a normal kind of fight. He's got in our hand, let's, yeah, let's take this outside. And a bit of a gag off, but we're already outside. Uh, just... Yeah, more op- more outside, outside, like an open area. So they go back to the car park. When bikers appear. No, wait, ninja bikers, <laughs> led by Akira Tozawa. This definitely entered weird mode now, <laughs> if it wasn't already. Uh, the four men team up, uh, reveal us in a situation, they team up and create the ultimate Viking Prophets with their own little sigil and all. Uh, the super team, strong enough to take on these nasty-ass ninjas. Uh, they all jump up with their fists in the air after taking on the ninjas. Yeah, they just beat them up. <laughs> yeah, they all jump in the air, do the, yeah, we get the freeze frame with the sigil. But Tazawa has a friend, and it's a really tall black ninja. Like, and everybody gasps, like, uh, here's a guy from the NXT Performance Center. I don't know his name. All I know is he's from the Performance Center. They... Didn't they didn't put out a casting call for a really tall person? Like no, yeah, they've, it's WWE. Of course, they've in the performances that they've got some really tall person. <laughs> so he was, he was just as a ninja. Uh, uh, Ivar uses the meat force <laughs> to pull a turkey leg out of the edge and into his hand, and he's like, "Ha ha!" Uh, the black ninja pulls out a really big katana, and they all run away and up onto the production truck. Yeah, but lol. Ivar's not so fit, so when he gets over there, he's all out of breath. Oh, what the like. Uh, then they all catch up. Uh, after a wee chat, the fight starts again. Okay, I guess the ninja thing's over. <laughs> right, okay. Can he not climb? Like the rest? Doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> Realise, this is not the thing to closely analyse. <laughs> uh, Dawkins and Eric brawl off, off the truck and into a big old trash can. Ford looked down in horror before Ivar pushes him in as well, uh, and Ivar then jumps himself into the trash can to boot. Uh, then we get, as they all lie there in pain, like, what are we doing? Oh. Uh, another Ivar flashback, as he remembers all the girls calling him cute, and Eric, not so much. Uh, the Then the female referee, Jessica Carr, appears atop a ladder at the side of the trash can, uh, or trash big bin thing, I don't know what you call them in America. A skip. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jessica Carr appears atop a ladder beside the trash and asks them what on earth they're doing because their match is supposed to be up next. Uh, he, she then calls Ivar cute, Eric not so much. Right before something growls in the trash can that's with them and scares the four lads away and we fade to black. Okay then. <laughs> I then went on Twitter. So I watched this entire thing away from social media. <laughs> Not because I was like, oh, I really need to see what happens and get my own viewpoint on this. 
No, I simply had it up trying to type my notes. <laughs> I think I had one break where I just went on, I just went onto Twitter and just quickly put out, just like my notes are proper weird. <laughs> just trying to keep up with all of this. Like I don't even know what it what it things are anymore. <laughs> what is this? What's happening? Uh, then I went onto Twitter and that was pretty much the general general consensus. There's loads of people like, what on earth am I watching? <laughs> what is this weird thing? Ah, oh, just the Street Profits and Viking Raiders had a continuation of what we'd seen to this moment. This was the exact kind of humour of the rest of it, where it left me with that similar feeling most weeks. Just of like, what am I watching? <laughs> okay, but at least it had the basis of competition. This was a brawl, then they had a moment of realisation, they joined forces together to fight the biker ninjas led by Kira Tozawa and the tall guy, and... Then they went above a truck for safety, and suddenly the match is back on. <laughs> I think that's the that's the minute mass moment for me. It was when they were like, "Oh no, we're back to brawling now." I was like, oh, "What about the ninjas? <laughs> what about that big ninja? He's still there. Is he just still stood there in the parking lot with Akira, just waiting?" I don't know. <laughs> Again, this isn't really the thing to overanalyze or to analyze at all. <laughs> it was. Silly nonsense, where I've got no idea what I just watched. Okay then. <laughs> I guess after a serious match, we just got 15 minutes of nonsense. I don't even know what to review. Aftershock is often a time of reflection and reviewing of a product. I've got nothing. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm meant to be saying with this. Oh. Anyway, let's move on to the final match I'm going to talk about. Actually, I'll have a drink first. I was going to leave it. Mm. But I'm so... So thirsty. Oh. And now I'm doing video. It's not nothing. You can watch me drinking water. <laughs> so anyway, the final match to talk about... Uh, just I will do a bit of background first. It's the WWE Championship. Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley, who was joined by MVP. Uh, the Lashley-MVP connection generally has been great in the build to this match. Uh, really, the only negative for me would be the stuff with Lana, uh, building to a very likely interference. Uh, but Bobby's current run is such a huge step forward from that rivalry with Rusev, like, I'm just ready for that to be fully moved on from. And WWE, I guess, have two choices of one, the thing we've all become used to where they just drop it. But I could criticise WWE where they just do something and then drop it with no reason. So if you have it play out and then come to an end, uh, I guess that's... Yeah, as in a definitive end where it's not coming back because they've done the story, they've done the arc, I guess. Uh, Drew McIntyre 2 has been great. Nothing but great notes for the WWE Champion since WrestleMania. The Scots done a great job <laughs> at the top of the AW, oh, top of the Raw card. Oh, the gag in that was meant to be, I said the word great a lot because it's the greatest show. But I've said AEW to Raw and ruined the whole thing. Anyway, so... Lashley, right off the bat, locked in the full nails on submission, pulling the champion down before the man had taken off his big coat jacket thing. Uh, or cape? Well, uh, never mind the bell ringing. You see, he was just in the ring still, still with his garment on. Uh, the match momentum very quickly turning into a fighting back from underneath for the champion. However, Lashley may have become too confident. He did have a nice period of... Uh, da, da, Demolition? That's not right. Uh, 
destruction, whatever. He's a destroyer, destroying. <laughs> he had a nice run with that. Uh, taking things to the outside, though, he might have become too confident. And he nastily drops Drew McIntyre on his noggin. But that was just before he overzealously charged forward. Oh, that's me charging like a anime character. <laughs> he charged right into a barricade. Uh, Drew dodging that gave, dodging that move gave one mighty swing in his favour. Uh, ability back suplex secured the change. Again, that landed with a thud as well. And uh, Rich Latter of One Nation Radio doing quite a on-point tweet of just let these guys have a never openweight championship match. <laughs> yes, that style would be great <laughs> with these two. Uh, they saw it in flashes with this one. This is the most into a Bobby Lashley match I've been since... To be fair, I enjoyed his match with Roman Reigns. That's Extreme Rules, but that had like no real momentum going into it, really. It was uh, Roman at quite a low and Bobby Lashley at a weird juncture after Sami Zayn was rubbish, I think. Oh, am I getting my years mixed up? Who cares? Anyway, uh, the champion himself uh, then had a nice string of offence back inside the ring, uh, evening out the odds as we got towards the more even final part of the match. My favourite part of any wrestling match. Uh, Lashley fought back in and the momentum for the end was extremely back and forth. Uh, big moves and counters galore. Uh, Drew went for a tombstone, countered into an ankle lock. Lashley charges for a spear and instead gets rolled up into a Kimura arm lock. Uh, superplexed off the top rope with another run of just jarring cuts <laughs> as they climbed up, but suplex was fine. Uh, both men were down and stylishly, McIntyre kips back up in style to set for a claymore, uh, but when he runs, he's met with a spear. Ah, oh, yeah, a running theme, obviously, because you've got two guys to do the spear. Uh, this time, the spear from Lashley hits, uh, but only gets a two count. MVP is aghast. Uh, Lashley goes to set up for the next move, when out comes Lana. Ah, uh, here we go. Lightly interference time. Ah, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, immediately, I was like, okay, here comes the end. And we were all 100% correct. Likely interference. <laughs> Yay. Uh, she walks all the way onto the apron, argues. Bobby meets Drew's Gallo. No, oh, I'll try this one again. Bobby Lashley is met with Drew Gallo. Oh, Drew Galloway. He's met with Drew McIntyre's Glasgow kiss headbutt. <laughs> I think it's because I had to say Glasgow afterwards. I kept going to go. Anyway, he's met with a Glasgow kiss headbutt and stumbles right into his wife. Lano is sent flying off the apron. And it's half past four in the morning. Lana <laughs> is flying off the apron and taking down MVP in the process. Lashley turns around and is met with the Claymore. One, two, three. McIntyre retains. Sometimes predictable doesn't mean bad. But on this occasion, it certainly detracted. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was bad, bad. But when the ending came, when the ending happened, and of course we're making the gags of likely interference and then the interference happens and that's how the match ends it's kind of like oh the ending was run of the mill the match itself I thought was great it's just like oh you had to do an ending when the rest of it had built so well and like even the way Lashley was operating as a, a character in the match where he's, he's trying to think of that next thing to do and he's got it and that's when Lana comes down and like no 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 do no you have to listen to me listen to me you're like this is not the time <laughs> oh. But, again, long-term, if they move Lashley away from Lana, that's the only thing left, I think. for Because I, because I have such a dislike for the Lashley-Lana-Rusev angle. Just that coming to an end uh, is, for me, a step forward. But 
they need to give you a reason for it to end, which is, again, such a long time invested in this, it makes sense to cut it off. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, we'll just check. One last thing. Because I... Yeah, anyway. That's that done. Right, let's end the show. <laughs> I realise I haven't got up any of my goodbye notes. So as I use the wrong arm because I'm tired. Show notes. I said show notes. Bloody hell, I can't click. There we go. Right. I am back on... <laughs> it's me ending the show. I'm just really tired so I've got no transition to it at all. After I was awkwardly clicking everywhere. <laughs> so anyway, I will be back on Thursday. Can't remember who I'm joined by or what I'm talking about. Probably Backlash. <laughs> Probably this from a different point of view. Uh, anyway, I'll be back on Thursday to talk about the whole wrestling thing. Uh, I'm also uh, writing a collaboration column... I uh, will be collaborating with uh, fellow writer Lords of Pain slash Wrestling Headlines, Sir Sam, uh, myself, Sir Sam, and from the Social Suplex Network on the Keeping It Strong Style podcast, Jeremy Donovan. The three of us, every single week, we're putting out columns of the New Japan Cup as that plays out when it happens. It starts on Tuesday, which for me is in a day. Uh, New Japan itself returns in like five hours <laughs> to start. They return in like five hours. I'm going to bed. I need to get to sleep. I might. I'm not going to be able to watch it live. I'll do my best to watch it. Hopefully on Monday before going on Tuesday. But the New Japan Cup starts on Tuesday, and every week, myself, Sir Sam, and Jeremy Donovan will be putting out a column, uh, one column with all of our thoughts inside of it of the week, with uh, matches to recommend, who we thought is like the best wrestlers of each one. Uh, following on from our uh, internal award-winning G1 Climax coverage of myself and Sir Sam's, this time we've grown. We've got a friend. <laughs> Uh, so that we posted either on a Saturday, uh, Saturday, on a Friday or a Saturday. Proof it's four thirty a.m. and on a, and I'll be back on Thursday to do a podcast as well. Uh, I, I I want to say I want to talk about how WWE have followed on from this, but I might talk about New Japan Cup. We'll wait and see because again, New Japan's my number one promotion and they have returned. I finally can have happiness in my soul. <laughs> uh, but also, please check out our other shows here on Laws of Pain Radio. Live after AEW Dynamite is our AEW post-show, Dynamite After Dark with Jamal and Jeff. Fridays is Miz Fan and Mystic with the WWF Legacy Series. An unabridged look over the history of the now WWE with the journey through the WWF. Cannot recommend that show enough. And Tuesday before we've got Kingdom of Honor. Uh, Currently going back over TNA's uh, pay-per-views. I think they're into 2006 now, the start of 2006. I think. It might be on like Genesis or Turning Point or one of those ones. Anyway, with that I say thank you for listening to this or watching this or whatever. Where However long you've gone. Uh, just you weird people. I will be back on Thursday in video audio form. I will also be back in written form by the end of the week as well for the New Japan Cup column. Uh, what do you think of Backlash? Was it the greatest wrestling match you've ever watched? Or was it weird? <laughs> Are you like me where you're in the middle, where you generally like, really did like parts of it, but also were generally pulled out of certain parts of it to make it not a nice and even thing? Uh, anyway, I'll be back soon. Uh, and that's it's the end of the Pay video, Aftershock. That's, I bid you adieu. Adios. Don't normally salute. I'm just so tired of doing weird things. <laughs> anyway, adios.